Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for the unofficial 40. Soonerscoop.com's very official recruiting podcast featuring Soonerscoop.com recruiting publisher Josh McQuistian. Get your recruiting fix from the leader in Sooner Recruiting. It's the unofficial 40 with your hosts, Soonerscoop.com publishers Carrie Murdoch and Josh McQuistian. Eddie Rats. Welcome back, everybody. It's another edition of the Unofficial 40, and it is uh, probably Josh McQuistion's favorite edition ever of the Unofficial 40. That's because it's the day after signing day, uh, and uh, he joins us from his home base. And uh, Josh, is the, is the weight of the world off of your shoulders today? It really is. The, the night of signing day is always the night I sleep better than any other because almost regardless of what happens over the next, like, oh, probably week, I've got a free pass. Like it, it's pretty relaxed. Uh, even on the board, everybody kind of lets me slide on uh, maybe not being quite as focused as I might usually be. Well, that's Josh McQuestion. Uh, he is. Uh, it's like he just took a big dump, probably a uh, dump for his soul. Uh, Eddie Radosevich is in studio. Joe Duvall here as well. And uh, guys, it was a it was a weird day yesterday. I mean, uh, for one, Rivals.com did not crash. Yay. Uh, congratulations for doing huge. your job, Yahoo. Um, Eddie Radosevich, you didn't have to be out running around because there were no real big announcements, even locally. I mean, Justin Broyles is already here. Did Justin do something at his high school yesterday? No, I don't think so. I think they had, I mean, he probably had class down in Norman. I don't think Well, yeah, and he did that FAA thing that you went to, Eddie. Uh, actually, I don't think I made it over there. We had, oh, you had a basketball game. That that was uh, that's back when, right. Oh, that's back that, when yeah. OU still had a basketball season going on. <laughs> uh, but I mean, guys, it was done by what eight thirteen? Was that when the entire class was in? And and we, Josh, you had kind of let everybody know the Marvin Wilson thing wasn't going to happen. Uh, Tyler Taylor happened pretty early. Uh, it was just bizarre to to sit there at eight fifteen and know that the day was done. It was it was really strange just in the fact that I got up at I don't know I, I thought I was getting up early and it was like seven forty five and I looked uh, <laughs> I looked at the 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 board and it was like okay well like they're waiting on four guys to sign and then I ran to Starbucks and by the time I got through the Starbucks line I got back home and it's like okay it's eight nineteen this this thing's over yeah Eddie's first response was wow this thing's gonna be over by nine o'clock yeah and I underestimated it by about forty five minutes. And last year, we were dealing with the boards being out. I mean, all the way into what? I mean, Let's not mention it. All right, let's not talk about it. Never mind. But this year was, uh, you have to deal with any kind of Twitter outburst. You have to deal with anybody kind of calming people down. And it was just nice to have the class in and have nothing really go wrong. The only, I mean, like yesterday as it went along, I think the one thing that really stood out early was Texas kept losing out on guys. Yeah. And that was kind of the big thing that happened early. Uh, then you had the uh, Levi Jones thing happen pretty early in the day where he 
you know, took off his jacket, had Florida, took that off, had Florida State, then had USC, who he eventually signed with. Uh, but really was pretty quiet until the story came out about the Michigan State guy that was in jail and couldn't send in his letter of intent. Always a bad decision. <laughs> but I, I don't know, Josh, I think, and it's sad to revel in it, I think, but I know a lot of people are. Jacob Phillips just really got kind of screwed yesterday. I mean, he's still going to a great school and has every chance to be an you know an All American. But one of the things that he was sold on was playing with guys like Marvin Wilson in front of him, and that didn't happen. Yeah, and I can tell you, and it, and I'm not saying this came from LSU. Jacob Phillips had a lot of reasons to think Marvin Wilson was going to LSU, and I I actually spoke to Jacob for just a second yesterday. And I, I got the impression he was pretty surprised that that did not go his way. Um, so I, I just I and he got I another think, middle and then, linebacker. And then you throw in the Tyler him. Taylor situation. I'm sure he did not like Tyler Taylor picking LSU. He, let's put it this way: he commented on Marvin. He did not comment on Tyler Taylor. Like it could have been a sore subject, maybe. Yeah, that that would be my guess. Because, I mean, and I don't like, and I feel like I've said this and everybody's kind of gotten into where, like, Jacob doesn't like Tyler. It's not like that. Jacob just, my impression was that Jacob was not nuts that OU was still pursuing Tyler Taylor with he and Levi committed. I, I think he thought, okay, that should be good. John Michael Terry's there. Emmanuel Beal's there. You know. Well, that was the I thing. Mean, I mean, when we went to talk to him in Nashville, Eddie, that was one of the things he brought up about uh, the the number of linebackers that were already there and uh, that he looked at a lot of places and you know he liked Oklahoma because they didn't have a lot of middle linebackers and other people were trying to tell him oh they always have people at Oklahoma and they really didn't yeah well I mean I don't understand how you could look at the the roster and think that 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 Oklahoma was just jam packed at middle linebacker I mean I it it's becoming more apparent for me personally that Jacob Phillips lives in a world of pretty much fantasy land and he I think he he thinks that it, it was almost like he had such a an easy recruitment he caught all the shit in the back end almost by way of karma and what's ironic is I feel like he almost sensed that kind of aspect of recruiting early that's why he wanted to get it over with I just want to get it done with I want to take my visits and get it over with and then he still allowed himself to kind of get caught up in all this stuff and it's something Josh has talked about before, and it's true. These these guys have lived basically normal lives. They've been normal teenagers. Then all of a sudden you have the best salesman in the world from Fortune 500-type companies, essentially, for how much money they make, coming into your living room trying to recruit you and giving you all kinds of sale pitches, telling you how great you are. And that can be tough for kids to kind of handle. And that's why I thought he was smart to, at, early on in the process just to kind of get all that mess over with. And then uh, that obviously didn't happen. And and Kerry, Mike Stoops talked about kind of on uh, the press conference yesterday about how an early signing period might help situations like that. And and I, I may be crazy, but I, I said this on the board. I got a strong sense, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong, that Phillips was weighing heavily on Mike Stoops' mind as soon as he walked in. And you could read it on his face and his expressions and what he was saying. Basically, for the first half of that press conference, he was thinking about Jacob Phillips. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I asked Bob about it, uh, and and I asked Mike about it, and he kind of, he was careful to kind of stay away from from too much of it. But, you know, talking to Bob, uh, I asked him, you know, does that hurt? You know, you're, we all know that you guys have been hurting at middle linebacker for a couple of years now. How much does, you know, how much of a blow is that to lose? I didn't mention him by name, but I said, how much of a blow is that to mention him, to lose him at the end? 
And he said, well, we recorded, four, you know, we, we signed four linebackers. Yeah, you signed one inside linebacker in Levi Draper. I mean, I don't see, I mean, Addison Gums, you can't sell me that he's an inside guy. No. Jakir oh, Daly, he's not an inside guy. He was playing defensive end. Kenneth Murray, school. I mean, he's 208. I, you know, that's the what I guess that's still what's uh, what are they supposed to say? You know, I, at that point, they know they're thin at inside linebacker. There's no way they don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's why, just one of those F you carry for asking that question. I'm going to lie now. <laughs> Basically, I mean, it's either going to dog on Jacob Phillips or lie to you. Those are his two options. I would have rather he done the latter. Oh, it would have been awesome if he would have <laughs> talked about how he didn't have the chest. Like brought over a trash can and poured a bunch of gasoline in it and just put a match in it and said, this is what I think of it and started peeing in the trash can or something. This is how you lie to decommit that, effigy. That might have made, made some news. That would have been awesome. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, we kind of tried to ask about that, but nobody bit. Nobody, nobody wanted to, to go biblical, go Old, I mean, old Testament on Jacob Phillips. Yesterday. What are they going to say? I mean, I think we've made it pretty clear on the board uh, through, you know, Everything that we put up to leading to, to yesterday, up to leading to yesterday, and then uh, even in Josh's uh, post signing day thing, it's the coaches were pissed off about this situation. I don't think there's anybody that is saying they aren't. I mean, at some point though, you just got to move on and forget about it. I do know that Gabe Eichard's tweet uh, about it was well received in the coaching office. The the which one? There was two of them. It was the uh, the well, one about the Bob. One, the, the, Bob. Bob does it the right way, but the one basically the, the Migos uh, yeah, reference. Yeah, yeah, drip drop. That was that was pretty good. That that almost made the entire day worth it. I couldn't believe I woke up the next day and I had all these alerts in my Twitter feed about gay biker goes off on. Yeah, they there's there's LSU nobody that loves. Uh, it was like. The perfect clickbait yeah. uh, article or whatever to write. What are the odds there's going to be Kings of Leon diss track for Jacob Phillips <laughs> on their next album? <laughs> I don't think Caleb cares enough to write lyrics about Jacob Phillips. If they let Jared write lyrics, then maybe. That would be awesome. I, you know, It would have been a Kevin Durant diss track on Walls if that were the case. <laughs> the other guy that almost ended up on uh, OU Fans diss track was... Uh, uh, Trey Brown. Wow, that, that was what, just, what was that situation like, Josh? What was going on there? I was going to say, I don't know. <laughs> Jacob, I feel like uh, the coaches probably have had a little time to uh, digest that one. There were uh, more than a few people that were a little irritated with the whole Florida thing over the last 48 hours. Like it, it, It'll be interesting what his... Um, his first, like, because once they sign, I mean, co literally, coaches like the flip just switches. Like they're just like, "Yep, okay, now, now you're ours. Now we we played your game for the last two years or whatever. Now you're gonna dance to our tune." And so, I'm very interesting, uh, very interested to see if there won't be a little bit of a riot act being read to Trey Brown. Like, that's not how we're gonna do this. We're not airing all of our laundry on Twitter. We're not gonna every time we're unhappy. Vo like, we're not doing that. Well, so I, I'm interested to see how that goes. I will. Uh, I tell you what. I will play what Mike Stoop said when he was asked about it. And I know you can't hear this, Josh, but my apologies. But here's Mike Stoops addressing uh, Trey Brown, thinking about Florida uh, right up at the end. You in Florida? Dad said he didn't make the decision until early this morning. How confident were you guys feeling going into today? Well, you know, um, I don't think you feel, you know, I think you're, you're comfortable 
uh, with everything until uh, you know until you get that pa the final paperwork. Uh, you know we were confident and. Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe he wanted more drama. I don't, you know what I mean? That's, you know what I mean? The kids are, I guess it's all coming to an end now, so they have to, you know, put their cleats on and put their shoulder pads on and, and go to work. So uh, Trey's an outstanding football player where, you know, he's got electrifying speed, something we haven't had in the secondary that we desperately need. So, yeah, he took his little shot, but then he, 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 uh, he went ahead and made sure to say, oh, he's a really good player. Though. Soften the blow on the yeah. back end there. I I hope when uh, – I, I wish we could get, like, in there for the first week of summer conditioning because I imagine that Jerry Schmidt will have a lot of uh, a lot of things to say and a lot of things to uh, to remind Trey that he could have gone to Florida if he wanted to make it easy on his life. <laughs> well, and, I mean, I, it was just so weird, Josh. I mean, you know, we've all – I'll say this. From the moment I first met Trey – like, you know, Justin Broyles, and I remember being down in Dallas at the the Under Armour, the Ill Speed, and all that stuff. I mean, Trey was, he's very kind of keeps to himself. He's not really as outgoing as like, and I think, you know, Levi is more outgoing, even though he doesn't, you know, he does it more over social media and stuff, it seems. Mm -hmm. Justin is just everywhere. I mean, he's, he's, he's friendly as hell and will talk to anyone. And, uh, but I always kind of wondered, like, could Trey Brown be that kind of guy that might, you know, slip away? Pull something at the very end. Be, well, not at the very end, but just throughout the recruiting process, he was a guy I was like, I'm not so sure about that guy being like, he just didn't seem to me like a guy that was a buyer in. Like, yeah. you know, he didn't buy into things. He was kind of a lone wolf a little bit. And what's interesting is Charleston Rambo also went to Florida. It wasn't like that there's this uh, disdain for Trey Brown, not disdain, sorry, but this kind of skepticism of Trey Brown and what he was doing at the end. It didn't transfer over to Charleston Rambo because I think uh, Charleston didn't really put it a lot out there on social media. He didn't try to hype up the, dr the, yeah. the drama of his decision. He put that one decision. picture out there with he and Steve Spurrier. Right, and that was it. And I think that Trey Brown, you could you could feel it, the sense that he wanted you to be unsure. He wanted people to not know what he was going to do. And I think Mike Stoops picked up on that pretty well, that he wanted the drama, and that's what he got. And, uh, you know, it's all over now. And I, he, he, what's weird is he was committed on March 11th. So he's almost been committed for a year and decides to do this, which made the whole Florida thing sound even less credible. I mean, do, do you really believe, I guess, Josh, do you really believe that Trey Brown was really considering Florida the morning of signing day? No. I, I think the whole thing, and I, I think it was concerted. I think there, were, there was a desire to make that a big story. And I, I, I don't. I don't know why. I don't know if it was just boredom or what it was. But, I mean, I, I talked to somebody Sunday night, you know, because I hadn't been able to reach Trey that day. And I wanted to see, you know, is is there any reason to be concerned here? And I I wouldn't say I got laughed out of the room, but it was it was pretty clear that, no, it, it's going to be fine. And that, that was just – that was the vibe I got all three days following that Florida – or, excuse me, that Florida visit. So, I, I – I don't know. Like I don't. I don't know why kids do this sometimes, but they just do. I mean, and he was even retweeting all this Florida stuff, and it was it was a lot like hours before Jacob Phillips announces he's flipping to LSU, and I and you know you yep. guys and you know myself knew that he was about to flip to LSU. He's still liking OU stuff on Twitter. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like you're you're messing with people, and it it I, like, again, I don't think either one of these kids are bad kids or anything like that. It's just. 
I don't think they understand how that looks like from outside. They get caught up in it, and they don't. They, yeah. yeah, they don't think about how bad it looks, and they don't think about um, the coaches. You know, and I don't. You know, not you don't have to have a ton of sympathy for the coaches here, but Mike Stoops did make the point that you know when they got somebody like Jacob Phillips to commit, they stopped recruiting other guys, and eventually they stopped recruiting guys like Tyler Taylor um, because they were done at inside linebacker, and then when guy switches at the end. You're left scrambling to try to get Taylor back on board, who's probably now uh, upset with you because you turned him down for Jacob Phillips and things like that. So the that last second game by Trey Brown, it might be fun for him, but I guarantee you Kerry Cooks sitting there hoping his DB class comes out the way it should is not taking it as a kind of a fun little dramatic end to his season. And, you know, that stuff transfers over probably into their playing career. I, I remember uh, yesterday Lincoln Riley was talking about how Chris Robison, him being such a sturdy commitment the entire time, being a great recruiter for them, buying all in, he said that will definitely translate to how he sees him as a player on campus. He said there's no question about it. So uh, I, I think that that's something that these guys just don't fully realize. They get so caught up on the end-all, be-all of the recruitment cycle and forget about their next four to five years. You know, one thing about this class, guys, and I think it's – I don't. I, I'm not saying anybody's undersold it, but to I think one thing that we haven't talked about enough, at least on our podcast, is you know this is an Oklahoma team. It's got a really young offensive line, and think of all the years that OU has struggled. Josh bringing in offensive linemen and tackles and going through the uh, you know the 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 Kittle era and in the James Patton era. Uh, when Kevin Wilson had to go and sign an entire class in 2007, basically, um, and that, that ended up leading them to a national championship. There's been a lot of struggles ever since then. And it happened early in Mark Mangino's career when he was chasing guys off. I mean, the history of Bob Stoops being here at Oklahoma, it, a lot of it is struggling to sign offensive linemen. So to have a young offensive line now and then to bring in this class – Probably the most, to me, the most undervalued part of this recruiting class. If you wanted to have an MV or find an MVP on the coaching staff, I don't think that uh, there would be anybody that would deserve it more than Bill Beatenbow and what he's done the last, really, the last two, three years. Yeah, since uh, since he got here, I mean, he he just it seems like he's he's offering a product that a lot of kids are buying into right now, and especially when you can uh, flip a guy like you know Creed Humphrey at the beginning of it and then close it with somebody like Adrian Ely. It's unbelievable. It's, it's yeah. very, very good. He has to have a hundred percent approval rating from Oklahoma fans. I mean, just the way that offensive line played on the field and then the recruiting he's doing. I mean, I, I, Bill Bedenboe has to be. There's no dissenters for Bill Bedenboe from Oklahoma Beden fans. Boss. Beden Boss. There you go. But Josh, you remember those days? I mean, how crazy the, everybody was on the board about offensive line recruiting and and how hard it was at times. It seemed impossible. I mean, going back to. I mean. You talk about middle linebacker right now. Remember, I mean, when when OU lost Zach Banner and finished second, I mean, that was kind of the low point of recent history with offensive line recruiting. Yeah, I mean, guys, I'm sitting here looking at the 2013 roster, which was Bill's first group. And in the junior and senior class, you've got Tyrus Thompson, you've got Daryl Williams, you've got Adam Shedd. I mean, you, you go down that list and you see, okay, those guys are good players. But what was behind them? I mean, you're talking about like Christian Daimler was a freshman. Derek Farniok was a sophomore. Uh, you know, Jay, uh, Deontay Savage was a junior. Neela Casatati's a sophomore. Ty Darlington, sophomore. So, I mean, like, what was beneath what, you know, he walked into a pretty good starting group. Bronson Irwin was also part of that group. But below that first about five or six linemen, he had nothing. Yeah. I mean, there, there, was, there was nothing there that was going to, you were going to build 
your football team around. And now I, the thing that I can't get over when I look at this class, look at Oklahoma at the guard position. You've got Cody Ford, who was a starter that people were really excited about coming into the season, obviously got hurt. You've got Bennett Powers, a guy who played really well, kind of quietly this year. Alex Dalton was a guy they've been excited about at various points. And then you've got Drew Samia, who may have the most NFL potential of any of the guys. That's four good guards they've got right now that at best – Will, will, you know, I guess at earliest, would graduate next year. And they just signed two of the best guards in the country in Tyrese Robinson and Marquise Hayes. Like, that, that's, that speaks volumes for his ability as a recruiter to sell those kids on, hey, we may, it, it's easy to sell playing time. That's an easy pitch. But when you can land guys, even when you don't have that to sell, that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think they returned three guys that have started at offensive tackle, and they returned six guys that have made starts on the interior. I mean, that's like eight, nine guys that have started the offensive line that are coming back. And then to throw in probably the best offensive line class OU's landed in a decade on top of that. I mean, that you can't be more, more – there can't be more excitement there. And and, and I, if I know Oklahoma fans, and I think I do – having that on the offensive line only makes them even more happy because if you got your offensive line right, that whole offense can flow out of it, especially when your quarterback's Baker Mayfield. And I think it's kind of the reason why you can lose Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon and D.D. Westbrook and still think, okay, well, next year we're still going to be okay. Oklahoma's still going to be okay because they have Baker Mayfield and that offensive line. Put it simply, Bill Beanabo is uh, he's, he's recruiting at an Alabama level right now. Sort of. I guess you could look at it that way. I mean, as close as anybody on the yeah. staff. Yeah, I mean, he's, I think stock, fair to he's say. stockpiling high, st- highly star rated kids. Yeah. Yep. And he's doing it. I mean, if you recall, it wasn't too long ago, Oklahoma had two offensive line coaches, and that's not the case anymore. He's recruiting that entire thing himself, and it's, it's great from uh, outside to inside. And, and they're all kind of his guys, too. Neither one of those guys have jobs either, by the way, right now. Had, well, had two line coaches, and neither one of them could bring anybody in. Yeah. <laughs> James Patton and Bruce Kittle, right? Yep. Yep. Bruce Kittle saved a lot of people, though, while he was on staff. <laughs> we are not going to make no. fun of Jesus. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll confess that when I go to confession this, this weekend. Catholic. We, we, need a, we need a band button or you know something for when Eddie goes too far or breaks board rules during the podcast. Well, I, I was going to say earlier, I had a, uh, one of my buddies texted me. Uh, this morning and, and said that every time that Jacob Phillips name is mentioned, oh God. you should just put a, uh, a cash sign or a money, money jingle. <laughs> and I, I guess we won't do that. That would probably be going too far. I'm trying to see if I've got something. I don't think I do. Like a sizzle underneath when Eddie starts talking. Just like a cha-ching. I think like a hot take sizzle when Eddie starts going, just like a you know a grill going in the background. By the way, Josh is on uh, Mr. Mom duty today. I have not heard Lainey. Is she nearby? No, I laid Lainey down. You know, for those that are listening to this afterward, obviously it's about three forty as we record this. I laid Lainey down at about one forty-five, and I bet she went to sleep about half an hour ago. Homegirl likes to toss and turn in her bed a lot. I sometimes she'll go right to bed, and then sometimes she will goof around for an hour before she finally falls asleep. But I just you you spoke you said that, and I was like, let me look, and I'm like, okay, yeah, she she's officially asleep. So she uh, she fought the good fight for about an hour. So see, I am I Eddie trumps me on this podcast, but on the radio, I'm known of known kind of as the heart of darkness guy. 
but I I literally was like, hey, let's have Laney on the pod. I would love it if Laney were on the podcast, just you know, playing in the background. It, it's so you know, Carrie. I, I think that's hilarious because like somebody said something the other day about you know uh, Joe and I being the nice guys, and my friends think that's hysterical. Like. In my, you know, in my group of friends, I'm the jerk. Like, I'm clearly the jerk of my group of friends, but I don't know. Like, I put on this happy, sunshiny face. Like, they laugh about the guy I am on the ra- or on the podcast. You're so, Mr. Customer Service. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I, that, it's like that switch. I can't turn you. it off or yeah. something. You're a fake guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally fake. Fake guy. Uh, okay, so that being said, offensive line, really good. I think... You know, the thing about this recruiting class, Josh, is you really, there's not really anything sexy on the tail end of it. It all happened early on. Uh, and, you know, I, I was asking, talking to coaches about this yesterday. It's, you know, it's amazing what Lincoln Riley just coming into this program has done for recruiting because he really set the tone by going out and were we, we were, were we all there uh, when they had the Mesquite satellite camp? Or did you meet us down in Houston? Did you just do Houston that year, Josh? That Yeah, that year, um, what was it? There was something happening. There was some reason I couldn't be there. I was at something else. But, yeah, that year I just did Houston, and you guys did Dallas. And Ed, I think, did Eddie meet me in Houston that year? There was something that was going on that weekend. Yeah, I, had there to was do some, something I can't remember what it was. Day. There was something else me going on. Me and you went, me and Carrie went down to Dallas, though, because mm-hmm. I remember yeah, we went Yeah, I know to the, I wasn't in Dallas that but year. But that was I like, that was kind of the first time that staff had been together mm-hmm. on the recruiting trail. Carrie Cooks, uh, I remember uh, uh, Maiden was at that, that camp, and Carrie mm-hmm. Cooks was working him really hard. Uh, but, you know, Lincoln Riley, it was that morning there at Mesquite, he worked at Chris Robinson. Uh, that afternoon, it was at South Grand Prairie, and he worked out Sean Robinson, who he signed with TCU, right? Right. Um, and he kind of said, okay, these are the two guys I'm looking at. He worked them both out, and he decided, okay, Chris Robinson is our guy. He's the guy that we're going to offer. And I can't remember, I was trying to think of this the other day, how it went down. He offered, and it seemed like within days that he committed, didn't he, after that satellite I want to say it was like 48 or 72 hours yeah. after he after he offered uh, that he ended up committing, and it was also the same and day. Rambo as was at that camp. Charleston too, right? Rambo. They offered him the same day. Well, it had to be later because Robinson committed in like late June. Okay, so it had okay. to have been at least a couple of weeks because those camps are always, you guys know, right there, right at the beginning of June. So I mean, it was a couple weeks, but um, but yeah, no, I mean. Uh, and, and I think you said something about it yesterday, and Riley was right because he commented that Charleston Rambo was at that Mesquite Horn uh, at the Mesquite camp too. And then in the afternoon, Robert Barnes was at the one over right, in Grand yeah. Prairie. Yeah, and they hadn't offered him at that point, had they? That was, no, they hadn't offered any of those guys yet. That was literally, I think, the first day that we saw Robert Barnes was at that satellite camp. And I remember talking to, uh, at the time I was talking to Mike just off on the side about other stuff and I, re- I distinctly remember that was kind of the height of you know Caleb Kelly's recruitment at that point too while they were doing those camps so I mean but I, the point I'm making is Lincoln Riley comes in he identifies his quarterback in Chris Robinson and Josh is it is it too much hyperbole to say that that was what this class really ended up being built on I think when you look at this class, I mean, you, and you just look at the timeline of commitments. You know, I just said that um, uh, Robinson had committed in late June of 15. 
Well, then you just look at it build. Robert Barnes was in early September. Then you've got Levi, and then you've got Tyrese Robinson early January. And in that mix, you also had Sedarian Lamb when he committed the first time, which I believe was like late December of that year. So you've got three of your first five commitments are Dallas area guys, and Oklahoma just kept building on that. Guys like Charleston Rambo we talked about. Even Jalen Rager at one point was part of that you know, kind yeah. of collaboration. So I think Oklahoma, you look at it, it's a 27-man class. 15 of the guys are from Texas or Oklahoma. That's To me, if you draw up the way Oklahoma wants to do a class, that's what they want to do. I mean, now, of course, that's relying on Oklahoma having enough talent to be part of that 15. They need Oklahoma to produce six or seven guys that are worthy of that level. And I I think the first five, there's no question. Oklahoma got five good guys from in-state. So, yeah, I mean, you just look at it. Oklahoma did a really good job building their base and then letting the recruits do a lot of the work for them. I think it's interesting, you know, listening to Lincoln Riley, he kind of talked about it yesterday. It was just that this class was very unique in that, that they had those, that type of leadership, uh, that they had the Justin Broyles in Oklahoma city. They had Levi Draper in Tulsa. Uh, you know, he was eventually joined by Isaiah Thomas, Creed Humphrey eventually kind of joined that Metro thing. And then you had Robert Barnes holding everything down in the DFW area. It was just really unique that I think that, I don't want to say this class means that much more to the coaching staff, but at the same time, they kind of do mean that much more just because they did kind of uh, create this, I don't know, it was a, a unique closeness between each other. It reminds me, Josh, a little bit of the uh, the Justin Johnson class, which was, uh, I think that was Calhoun, RJ, and uh, Stephen Oh, Hood, right? yep. Yeah, which that was, you know, three, five stars in that class. Uh, none of them turned out to be real five stars when it was all said and done. But on paper, that was a fantastic class, and it was a really close group. Kind of, I don't know what it is about Justin's, but uh, Justin Broyles and then Justin Johnson was kind of the – and Justin Johnson didn't turn out to be anything. He transferred to Abilene Christian, I think. Yep, that's um, right. But, you know, it, it reminds me of that class and in, in the way it came together and the way that the, the commitments really – Brought it. Who was it? Was it JB Shugarts that was went to Ohio State? That was the lineman that year. Yep. Yeah, and the the funny thing about that, and to tell you how far things have come in nine years. Also, Sam. McGuffin. That was the first year that OU hosted a junior day. It was a big deal that OU was having a junior day, and they did they did one, and it was this huge deal. You're right, and because I took that picture inside Sooner Legends, and it's uh, Stephen Good. Um, let's see who else. JB Shugarts, Ben Haburn. And Sam friggin' McGuffey. McGuffey! So, uh, exactly. You know, you can't find that video on YouTube anymore. No, I've, yeah, I've tried recently to search oh, it I out. looked for it the other day, and I was like, oh, that's heartbreaking. That was such a great... That was Man. one of the first great, like, recruiting, like, trolls. Yeah, and that was early in YouTube and everything, too. I'm, that wondering, was, if oh, Mc, yeah. I'm wondering if McGuffey didn't pay somebody to take that down. Well, he's a, I, uh, he's a respected uh, bobsledder now. He had, he I should say, did. everybody knows he's a bobsledder now, what? right? He's on yeah, the he, US he's trying to be an Olympic bobsledder. That's crazy. That's a that's a that's a talk about dangerous sports. That's a that's a dangerous one. That is probably the most safe sport that has ever been invented. Bobsled? Yeah. Didn't a guy die at the last Olympics? He was probably very very soft. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're wearing you're wearing a helmet. You're wearing a helmet and you're going downhill. And it a can't metal be that. It can't be that hard. You're like in a tin can sliding down a thing of ice with no control. Skeleton? You're, you're like in an aluminum can doing 100 miles an hour on ice. 
Uh, yeah, just stay in it though. I mean, don't if you don't fall over. Skeleton though, probably pretty tough. What kind of athleticism do you need? To, I mean, he McGuffey can't jump when he's laying down in there. It's so all about running. The, it's just the start. just getting fast. Can you start fast? Yeah. And and guys, even back then, I mean, Sam, for all the jokes and all the stuff you want to make, like Sam had legs like tree trunks. Like for a dude his size, you're like, dang, like that. Like he, you could tell he lived in the weight room, and so like you knew, like it, it makes sense that bobsled would be his thing because. For some reason, it instantly takes me back. You remember when Herschel Walker wanted to do the bobsled thing? Like, yeah. for a while there, he was he was training. Like, that's what it makes me think of. Like, just having that lower body explosion, and Sam's got that. Josh, let me ask you, uh, just going up, and I know, you know everybody gets fired up about your, your tails, from, you know, recruiting trail tails <laughs> after it's over. What, what was out there at the end that maybe didn't get that much pub uh, where was there anybody that Oklahoma really tried to go in and turn last minute where uh, you're kind of catching wind of it and maybe nothing ever really developed? Well, I'll be honest. One that, that I didn't really know a lot about when it was going on was uh, the Cade Mashburn situation where they, what I, what it was explained to me. And I think Eddie had given me a tip through somebody we know that, hey, maybe OU's looking at him again. And I had checked in with a few people and said, oh, you know, not really. It, it seems all good. So I, I kind of had written it off. And that was what, Eddie, probably Saturday, Sunday last weekend, something like that? Saturday afternoon. Yeah. And so I said, okay, no, no big deal. You know, no, no, nothing to that story. Well, as, I, as that story came out yesterday, I went back and checked with some people, and it sounded like it had happened a couple of weeks ago. Like Oklahoma was considering maybe if we can keep Jacob Phillips fine, and then also we'll take Cade Mashburn, because Jacob's not going to feel threatened about Cade Mashburn, but if we're wrong on Jacob, at least we have a body in Cade Mashburn. So I, I think that's what it came down to, and from what I can gather, if – Cade Mashburn didn't feel like uh, he read it for exactly what it was as, hey, man, you know, you're you're kind of our mop up option here. Then I think he probably flips to OU. But as it was, he just felt like he was going to be an afterthought and just somebody to have somebody there in practice. And so he stuck with Memphis. So that's really the one that seemed like there was some fireworks that were possibly happening. But I'll admit, I didn't really know it much about it until after the fact. I almost feel like I. In this day and age, every all, all those all these high school kids get uh, get trashed on for flipping their commitment, not committing. I mean, uh, not being true to their word and everything. But I almost feel like that's a situation where you have a right to be selfish and go back on your word if and not and not get yeah, those if it's consequences. Memphis to Oklahoma yeah. or Memphis to any Power Five. Like school. Memphis is just in such a awful way financially. Like I I think somebody mentioned it on the board their that stadiums they were like having trouble feeding players for breakfast and stuff like like very serious financial problems at the university of memphis i just feel like in a year or so now if that was the case he's going to look back on it and think i kind of f this one up well i mean well, memphis knows the deal too if that happens right if you a kid from norman gets an OU offer that you're going after memphis doesn't lose that much sleep over it and you say all right Miss that one. That, I mean, that, that's the game you play. I mean, that, that's just the way that uh, that'd be like a few years ago when Oklahoma went into Alabama and got Dwayne Orso. If a week before signing day, Alabama's like, hey, yeah, we want Dwayne Orso. 
the kid's going Alabama. Like it, it's not rocket science. I mean that that's not that's not the hardest thing. And the gulf between Oklahoma and Memphis is clearly not the same as OU and Alabama. But I'm just saying, like you have to understand where things are going to be in these sort of situations. Oh, yeah. You know that's a possibility. But um, oh man, I had something I was going to add. I think Eddie had said something, and now I've lost my whole train of thought. I got on a Dwayne Orso kick. It happens. And he's moving back to defense, right? Is that what? Or is he moving, moving back, back to, back to offense? offense? He Mike Stoops said that he played defense at the end of the year, defensive line, and now he's moving back to offense. Where, let's just be honest, he'll never play. So yeah, it doesn't seem like a great idea. Maybe that was like a kind of a subliminal. You should probably think about transferring. <laughs> Some guys switch positions a lot because, oh, man, they're so good. We just got to find a way to get them on the field. To think of, like, Geno Grissom. God, that guy's so good. We got to find a position for him. This is the opposite of that situation is the vibe I'm getting. It's just, Where do we need an extra body? Put Dwayne there. When we're in practice, what line is shorter? Put Dwayne there is the, the vibe I got from that. That's not a, oh, man, we got to find a place for Orso. Got a way to get him He's on the field. He's a big dude, though. I mean... But he's a tackle, and he doesn't seem to have that athleticism. Just from what little I've seen of him. Uh, you know, this is something I got into in that, in that NSD thread last night. Guys, if you were to go over it and say Oklahoma could, you know, they could decide on all, eight, let's see, 71 guys they currently have on campus right now going into spring practice, and you said, okay, you can pick yes or no to keep all 71. How many do you think they lose? I, I think there's six or seven guys they would say, hey, go on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Alabama does it every year. They just go ahead well, and do And it. that's what I'm talking about. Like They're not I, – I, I, at some point, OU's hurting themselves by being the good guys. Yeah, but it's not like their numbers have been big with all the concussion problems that they had, losing guys. I mean, they really don't need to chase people away right now. They'll probably have a couple of retirements next year as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you, you look at it. I mean, we talked about how good the offensive line class was. OU has an, another spot. Stephon Zabie is probably part of OU's class, not UCLA's. Or, you know, you go down the list. James Robinson, OU probably could have snuck him yesterday morning if they had anywhere to put him. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's some PR, situ you know, but just from a do you have the spot to take this guy conversation, they couldn't take him because they've got five or six guys that are – that they know we're dead weight. Like, I mean, I get the impression talking to people, it's not like it's some secret. It's not like some secret they've kept from the kids. The kids kind of know the deal, and for some reason, they don't want to move on to, you know, pastures that they might actually play on. It's pretty obvious McIlwain had some goodwill built up to be able to take Robinson. Because, I mean, oh, you just couldn't have taken him. I mean, even if they had yeah. a spot, I don't think they could have taken that PR hit right now. <sighs> It's weird to me that that like don't get me wrong, Kerry. I'm with you. Like I, I think, uh, but it's weird to me, and I guess it's just me being me that that's even a perception thing. Like I mean, that compared to you know what they've kept or what they've brought in, it's just crazy to me that that's a conversation. But I mean, uh, but it's a new day, basically. I mean, it's yeah, it's you're right. they've they've got to reset themselves as a program and say. Even though we've allowed worse than this, we have to clean up our act. It, 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 it generally goes to with this stuff, the old, you know, the NFL combine argument. If you get busted for pot, the NFL combine, it's not, they're not worried about you in the pot. They're worried about you being an idiot or you being, you know, <laughs> like your life decision. <laughs> right, exactly. They're checking to see, you know, if it's, it's not that that was going on with him. It's that it happened on Just an a official poor visit. Decision maker, yeah. yeah, you're worrying like, well, then what's the next thing going to be that he's going to make a bad decision on and that kind of thing.
stories I have heard on Robinson are pretty epic. So I mean, you're 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 dead on with that. Like what people don't know is much scarier than what they do know. So you're saying he is on a uh, he's on the track of of a another former Florida Gator, uh, Mr. Aaron Hernandez, is what you're saying. Oh no, I, nothing. Like I've heard nothing violent about James Robinson. Just like. I don't think what happened in Ohio State was an isolated incident. Let's let's put it that way. Ah, um, by the way, but, here's, you know what stood out to me yesterday more than anything is Nick Saban is just like he has perfected <laughs> recruiting. Like you have a kid that breaks down at his press conference because he he can't go to Alabama and delays it, and then after Alabama says we don't have a spot for you. He finds a way, or, or they find a way to convince him that it's a good thing for him not to come to school there and wait a semester, and then they'll have a scholarship. Like, who else could pull that off in this country? He, I mean, and you're not talking about a kid that his secondary option would have been South Florida. Like, he'd have went to Florida State or Auburn or Florida, or, I mean, some great, huge program. And on national, t- I mean, guys, we talk about this all the time, like, when you embarrass these kids, your recruiting's over. Like, it's over. He got embarrassed in front of the entire country and still went with Alabama. It's like Stockholm Syndrome or something. I mean... You know, it's like, it's like you know, guys that treat girls like crap. Yeah, negging or whatever. And they just keep running back for more. Yes. I, oh, man. I don't understand. I never thought of negging as a recruiting tactic. <laughs> Saving is <this> negging. <laughs> Do we think that, you know, and I, I was talking to my dad about this last night it's, it's like did Saban did they really tell him yesterday morning or did this kid know that there was a situation building where it's like my understanding was that they were going to let him know like and it was going to come down to the wire whether or really? not they had a spot for him so he didn't he didn't set himself up for failure I guess is what I'm trying to say is like because I feel like sometimes these kids could help themselves if they just didn't listen to everybody no, else they put him realized, in the friend zone and he was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll be I'll be okay in the friend zone. I think so we'll that's still cool. get married. That's cool, Man. guys. You know what's really crazy? The Aubrey Solomon kid that committed to Michigan, although he said he committed to Miami during the broadcast. Right? <laughs> he was Alabama was one of his choices, and what I understand, Alabama could have ta- or was planning to take him and the LeBron Ray kid. So what they've literally said to Jerez Parks is, "You are not good enough for us to process somebody else." We'll, we'll take you at semester, but we would have processed somebody for Aubrey Solomon. We won't do it for you. That's that's crazy. Like, I mean, I've never heard of a recruit taking a slap like that and being like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with you, girl. I, I still love you, even though, you know, you've slept with literally everybody. No, I, I said it this morning. It was like it was like if you had proposed to a woman and she said, look, I will marry you, but I want to go – bang my brains out with these other guys for a while before before I settle down. But then I'll marry you after that. Yeah, and he can still get other girls, too. That's the crazy thing. It's not like, like Josh said, it's not like he's going to go to South Florida. There are other girls there waiting for him. He's still saying, okay, Alabama, I'll wait. I'll sit yeah. up. It's unbelievable. Maybe they aren't the 10, but they're nine and a half. I mean, he wasn't, you know, that, that wasn't a ugly girl. He wasn't having to jump on the grenade, so... I mean, it's almost like they're they're playing professional football in a sea of uh, college football teams. Well, I mean, that, high school football teams. I mean, they're they're an, uh, I've never seen a team in my lifetime at this level, uh, just so far and above everybody else in college football in what they're doing. 
I, I've never seen anything like it. I, I actually think uh, Marvin Wilson choosing Florida State's actually that's good for the parity in college football. The more kind of we can start to spread out some of this stuff, the better. Alabama winning a national title every other year is not the most fun thing in the world. Again, not bad for the national runner-up. Not bad. Not a bad recruiting class. They still have won. How many national titles have they won under Saban now? Is it four? Yeah, because they were going for five and eight. Um, the thing that they won you know, eight somebody, recruiting championships. Yeah, they've won eight of the last uh, in ten years. They've won eight. Um, Gee, many Christmas. You know the thing. Somebody and it kind of touches on what Joe was just talking about. As I put up that list last night of the highest point totals in OU recruiting classes. You know, and for those that are listening and don't know. This is the highest point total OU's ever put together in a recruiting class. Now, there are some stipulations. Some the, the scoring has changed a little bit through the years. But as far as just a pure point total, this class rates higher than any other, which is interesting because it's 110 points higher than 2005, and that class ended up number three in the country. So it tells you how much these teams are starting to consolidate talent. You know, when, when almost half of the five stars in the country go to either Ohio State or Alabama, you're not leaving a lot out there for other people. Yeah. Well, okay. One thing I wanted to talk about, and, you know, this came out yesterday. It's kind of been floating out there a little bit, but Oklahoma moving back to a, a traditional four-man front uh, on the defensive line. I There's a part of me that's like, okay, that's great, but, you know, we've kind of seen what you have in terms of, you know, you got Gallimore, you got Q Overton, you got Matt Romar. Um, who am I leaving out here? It could be a, a nose kind of guy. Anybody? Overton, you said him. Yeah. Uh, Romar, the, the new guys. I mean, McKinney could come Lampkin. In. Lampkin. Lampkin. Yeah, Lampkin. So l- that's four guys with some experience. You could, So, yeah, I guess you can get away with that. Um, I think it's good. I mean, I, I just didn't like the the three-man front. I didn't like the three-four because I just never felt like they had enough beef up front, and I don't know that they have the linebackers to continue doing that. Although, love Caleb Kelly. I think I think Obo Karanquo could be the Big 12 preseason defensive player of the year going into next year. He should be, probably. Um, but I, I, I think we're probably looking at going back to more of a 4-2-5 where you've got a full-time nickel and probably two linebackers on the field. It is so. If I'm getting the, going back to more of the Roy back. Type. If if you're having a four man front next year, who are the four? Is it so? Oboe's an end in this situation. Yes. Uh-huh. Then you're going to have Romar and Q Overton as your defensive tackles, or Gallimore. And then Ga- or, Then you're going to have. Uh, okay. I mean Gallimore, Gallimore would be your shade. Yeah. And Romar would be you know your nose. And then who's your? Uh, I think Lampkin's more of a nose, who's and your, then Overton more of a who's shade. Your, who's your strong side end? Is it? I mean, Bledsoe when he comes back. I mean, it's not DJ Ward. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess, DJ I guess, Ward. Yeah, I mean, you don't want DJ Ward in a three-man front. That's even worse. That, I guess. I yeah, guess. I think say he's a better fit in the four than he is the three. But yeah. now he's put on all this weight, and he would have been much better <laughs> to be the two hundred thirty-five pound guy he used to be. I think he was going to put that on naturally, though. He's just a big dude. He's a big dude in high school. I, I, I. I feel like everything is being blamed on alignment and everybody's just ignoring. Yeah, if you run a passive scheme, you're going to look passive. I don't know. Like, I, I don't. I, I just. I don't understand the move. You finally have linebackers, so you're going to cut out half your linebackers. Yeah, I will court. say this. When, okay. Once Caleb Kelly came of age, that defense was good. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
they I, finally look like they were putting the pieces together and then they leave it. I, and they finally have the personnel to run it and they leave it. I, I don't understand the decision at all. I still will wait to see it when I I'll believe it when I see it. I'm kind of with Eddie. I, this feels a little ployish to me, but we'll see. But I, I guess at the same time, I mean, they don't really have anything to be selling necessarily. Uh, you know, if they're if they're still talking about it yesterday, they don't. It, it doesn't matter. They already have people signed. I mean, it doesn't. I guess if you're talking about 2018 kids, but I mean, they'll see you play. You'll see. Yep. They'll see you play in the season. I mean, what do they? I, I didn't ask this yesterday, but I mean, I would assume Mike would become like defensive ends coach now. You don't need an outside linebackers coach now. Yeah. What What would you – well, I mean, and with the 10th guy, that throws everything into question. Like, does he just become a D.C. and you allow someone else to be – you know, like, I, I wonder how that will work. Um, yeah, if I he's going to have a position really or if he's being overseer. Yeah, you don't even really need Mike Stoops to coach uh-uh. a position right now. No, you don't. Um, but what, what – um, what I was going to ask is, Kerry, do you think there's a chance that they're using this 4-3 like um, – uh, not, I don't want to say a smoke screen, but like that it's not going to be that different in the way it's aligned. That they'll than still what run they used an odd front, but like this Obo's is a way be standing up. Yeah, but this is a way for them to kind of stockpile it, to call some it a DTs and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's a possible? I mean, that, uh, yeah, on that I, level, I definitely it makes think, some sense to me. Yeah, I definitely think that could be the case because I don't okay. see them. They've been so married to that odd front for so long, and it's it's been good for them. The, it it just, yeah it does seem strange to just say okay we're not going to do that anymore. Yeah, the excuse uh, they gave seemed odd too. The, they said the spread is why they had to do it. And I, I I don't understand that. The spread's been around in the Big Twelve for years. This isn't a new phenomena. I mean I, I I don't. Well, you know, last year everybody was so enamored with West Virginia and their three three five or whatever, and then it just fell apart by the end of their season. Yeah, they started playing good teams and yeah. were just getting killed. And I mean, they 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 were a small. I mean, they, they had some big. I was impressed with how much size they had up front, but their safety play had has at West Virginia's probably been better than anybody's in yep. the conference, besides they've, maybe K State. They've had really good players back there. I mean, that's kind of just part of it, kind of what Josh was saying. I mean, yet at some point, maybe it's not alignment. Maybe you know, you get the right guys, you get aggressive guys, and then that kind of stuff kind of takes care of itself. It doesn't matter if Oboe's hand is in the dirt or if he's standing up, if he's going to be blitzing most of the time. You know. I'd, Unless it unless it does this, unless it's a a four man front in theory, yet Oboe is a stand up kind of a uh, what do they call that spinner that they used to use with Dan Cody mm-hmm. and Larry Burdine and those guys. Yep. I mean, maybe they they do something more like that. That and and that makes some sense because to me, you take away Jordan Par- Jordan Thomas and Stephen Parker, who looks like the most talented unit on your defense right now. Your linebackers. I mean, it's not, it doesn't even seem close to me right now. So why you would you take off? That, yeah. Why would you take your players off the field? Yeah, yeah. I mean that, that's their mantra is to get the best eleven on the field. It, that, and and, and that's why, like, you thought, okay, this Caleb is the year Kelly it totally makes Oboe, sense. Oboe, yeah. Well, although there, well, that one year they had Stryker and Bond, and it seemed like they struggled to find a way to get both on the field at the same time. And then eventually, when they did figure out how to get both on the field at the same time, the defense really took off that's why i'm not sure i quite understand this move either like josh when the three four pieces have been there the defense has been good when caleb kelly came in last year and they had oboe and kelly the defense was good that's i mean that's been their key is like when with striker you had a pass rusher with bond you had a run stuffer when they've had that combination in the three four that's what they had at the end of last year caleb kelly became a physical force of run stopping presence 
and then on the other side they had Oboe, and they were really good at the end of the year. It's been a, it's been a really good comment, and they'll have that coming back next year. So yeah, I I, I would say to put a bow in it. Like, let's see exactly, because they'll go through spring and they'll look at it, and they might realize, you know what, we're better if we just have Oboe and Caleb standing up. They might change back if they lose the spring game. <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> God. They're going to bring in the basketball team to scrimmage? Uh, they would beat the <laughs> basketball team, I can tell you that. Or the basketball team would be up until, like, the last 15 seconds, and then, <laughs> then they'd lose. If, if you, I'd take Doolittle at tight end. Oh, he he'd be pretty good. Well, you know who actually was look looks really good physically. I think I tweeted about it uh Big Monday. Uh Bryant Reef's son is like six four, two twenty five. Like he he could play linebacker. Huh? Yeah, he looked good. Out there logging them hay barrels around. Also maybe one of the ugliest kids I've ever seen. Well big you can't fall that far from the genetic tree. Yeah, big country was pretty ugly. I he had a lot of money, so maybe he kinda got a hot wife. I don't know. I bet I don't know. Bet he does, and like how, country, how, country looking of, way. How pissed was Vancouver when that was the face of their franchise to begin things? Like we recruit, like we brought you in. You're our first draft pick, and dude, have you seen Getty Lee? It's Canada. Oh God, what yeah, you're right. They they care huh? about what's, what's inside Getty in Canada. Lee? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what that means. <laughs> how about the lead singer of Arcade Fire? He's ugly. The guy that won the MVP in the. Uh, Celebrity All Star Game last year. Is there yeah. anyone good looking in Arcade Fire? I don't think so. They're all. I don't think they're so. all weirdos. <laughs> they're really good musicians, so you you get a bunch of ugly people generally. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> oh come on, Arcade Fire is not old man music. <laughs> I know, I've no of Arcade Fire. I couldn't tell you what anybody looks like. Gotcha, and well, that's I, fair. I don't know. They're 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 not that. And I'll, and, and Joe is without Lee, internet. I'll, I'll also say one. the Grizzlies weren't in Vancouver very long in my lifetime either. I I remember they had the uh, the like or the sleeves where they had like the cool designs, uh, the, the, the kind of nineties look. But Joe just puts oh, yeah. on Joe just puts on his linen pants and his suspenders and puts his hair in a bun and leaves the house every morning. Yes, sir. He has no internet. <laughs> Going up to the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny about that? Ninety-five to one was the Vancouver Grizzlies. Oh, okay, all right. They do. They do have a really. I agree with Joe. The uh, the throwback jersey that they have is pretty cool. I think that's a a good seller. Yeah, I think they have a good. Yeah, they had a good uniform. Also, there's a lot more Grizzlies in Vancouver than there are in Memphis. I hate that crap. There are no Grizzlies in Memphis. Well, you got the Utah Jazz, all right? Exactly. They, I hate they Trump all. I hate. Well, that's... they can't be the Memphis handguns. So. <laughs> oh my god. Jeez. I think that's Chicago. <laughs> oh, same difference. Well, you got the Los Angeles Lakers, Lakers. which is yeah, pretty. Yeah, started out in Minnesota. Yep. I hate it. Can't stand it. Doesn't make any sense to me. I, I like the Thunder. The Thunder is a good name for Oklahoma City. It's a good. Uh, it, but it re- they're the Supersonics, though. See that that would have been it stupid. Just wasn't the damn logo. Oh, the logo's terrible. Don't even get me the, started. Uh, PowerPoint. That's so bad. It's like a tar pick with like two lines through it. And that means Oklahoma City basketball for some reason. <laughs> I have no idea why. And they wear orange. At least they got the yellow off the court. Remember the first year, first two years, they had yellow on the court? Mm-hmm. It was so stupid. Okay, so let's talk quickly kind of about, you know, we mentioned there were no real fireworks at the end, but some things did happen toward the end. I mean, uh, I don't know where you where the demarcation line is. Is it like McKinney? Is that kind of where you start the second half of this class, Josh? 
Yeah, I would say, because, I mean, like you said, you had the the big run kind of even through the season. You know, you had Kennedy Brooks and Ja'Kir Daly. And then, I, no, I guess you would start with Marquise Brown in, in yeah. just about a week before. So right there, kind of in December, because that's when, you know, uh, December is when you start the in-home visits. And that always feels like when recruiting kind of goes into overdrive to me. Yeah, they had two commits in the regular season. I think that's the first time I put that together. That's pretty That's incredible. what happens when you start out one and two. <laughs> they rarely ever do. No, you go back and look at their classes. I, I would say with it's, it's going to be like a, uh, a, a um, uh, anchorman kind of quote here, but I would say in about 75% of the seasons, Oklahoma has about 80% of their class built in, the, in January and December and the spring. That that's when they build almost. They don't do. They do very little during the season, and it's I, it's got to be a plan. It can't be coincidence. This many years consecutively. Here's a fun fact for you. They had uh, 18 commits before the season even started. Do you know how many guys Texas signed? 20. 18 is what I saw. But mm-hmm, I think that's right. Did they not I sign 20? Right. I think they I, would start with 16 in the day, and they ended up with 18. Is that what it was? I think I, what I just checked something said it had them with 18. I know you had that before the season started. That's how that, that we talk about why that day was boring, why signing day was kind of boring. That's why. Here's one thing that stood out to me yesterday. I watch. I know Eddie was watching uh, OU's broadcast that they had on Fox Sports Oklahoma. I watched uh, when Jay Bulware was on there. And by the way, Reeves Munchchow sounds like incurable cancer. Um, <laughs> but I mean, he came on there and talked about how they really wanted to get a punter. And I'm thinking, punting is not. Austin Seibert's problem. It's field goal kicking. Like, and he said, he basically said that there weren't any good kickers out there this year, which I find really hard to believe. Um, I just, that doesn't make sense to me that you bring in a punter and not a place kicker. Yeah. And it seemed like, I mean, you're right. Seibert had a pretty good year punting. Seibert. You refuse to call him Seibert. He refuses to make field goals. (laughs) I refuse to call him the right name until he kicks the. I almost said the F word uh, until he makes field goals. But football, it, is, it is strange that like I caught on that too. Like I don't understand that. I don't understand a lot of the things that they do uh, special teams wise either, though. So well, look and look at his numbers. He had his punting numbers not that special this no. year. Uh, with kicking, he was uh, thirteen for thirteen on extra points and eleven for eleven on field goals. With a long of forty-seven, so it's not like he can't. Like it's not like oh, he's kicking chip shots. No, he kicked a forty-seven-yard field goal. I mean, look, like he's I think, got some leg. I think. Look, if you could come in, I think the most important thing for Austin Seibert is to focus on one thing. Mm-hmm. It, I I truly believe if he just focuses on kicking, he'll fix that part of his game. I think what's screwing him up is having to be the kickoff guy, the extra point guy, the field goal guy, and the punter. It's just how it doesn't happen. I mean. Uh, who was it? The the Henry, suck up kid. South Carolina was the last really great guy I can remember in college. Henry at Nebraska did it. I think he did all those things. Yeah, he was really good. But, I mean, it's didn't the Colquitts do it at Tennessee? One or two of them. There was like three of them. Yeah, so I can't yeah. remember. I can't differentiate. But guys, those are all. I mean, that's rare. I mean, we're talking about three or four guys. And look, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to rip on you know their their coaching ability. But you don't have a kicking specialist on the staff. I mean, it's been well known that guys like. Uh, Uve have kind of come in and helped out every once in a while. Like Bob does that stuff, and he's probably really good at it. If he if if Bob coached your kid and he was a punter or a kicker, he would probably make him better. But 
Bob is not a kicking specialist. I mean, he's not. He didn't kick in college. I mean, and they don't have a guy on staff. That's. I think that's a problem. Is that when you're asking a kid to do that much, and you don't have a kicking specialist that can be there every day and see, okay, well, his swing on this on his punting or his follow through or something, it's getting messed up. We need to correct that immediately. The the one thing that I did notice uh, throughout the entire year, you go out there pregame, you'll watch those guys just boot balls. I mean, make everything. Mm -hmm. During the games, when they would miss field goals, it always seemed like timing was off. Like either the snap was late or Siebert would start late. And it all, Seibert, God, it it just (laughs) always seemed like it was, it was off. The timing was off for everything. It was always short. I know that he can kick a 47-yard field goal. I've seen yeah. him. I've well, seen I mean, him do the return it. against Houston, the snap was bad. The hold was yeah, weird. Yeah, that's what I'm, and that's what I'm saying. He had, it's to, like, he had to hold up. It's like they had really bad timing all year, and I can only help but blame that on Grant Botham not being the holder anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about kind of the late uh, evaluated guys: Josh, Tyrese, Lot, Trey Norwood. Um, who am I missing there? Anybody? Uh, Troy James. Troy James. Uh, kind of, I mean, it was late. We didn't really get to, but what did you like about those guys from what you saw in film? Well, with, you know, we talked a little bit about Norwood last week. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, I, I've said it for a couple of times. Now. He reminds me of DeMontre Hurst. That's the guy I see when I watch him. A little smaller, very explosive in short areas. I think is a guy that can play very natural in his zone because he's he's got good ball skills. You can tell, like, if it's in the air, he he has that inclination to go fight for it. He's not just a guy that wants to knock it down. He wants to go get it. Kind of, you know, very Zach Sanchez-like in that way. Um, with, with Tyrese Lott, it's really just about managing expectations. If anyone's expecting this guy to come in next year and play a role or really even be a factor in 2018, I think they're expecting too much. He's very raw. He has almost no time in the weight room. He needs time to develop. But when you look at him, I mean, he's legitimately 6'3", 260. And when you watch his tape, the guy can run. I mean, he yeah. there, there's a play. The play that when you started hearing coaches talk about him, was he ran down a running back from Dell City from, like, across the field. Like, it was I, – I don't want to say this because I just said I want to manage expectations, but it was Javion Clowney-like. Like, he can't – the guy had no business tracking this kid down, so you're like, wow, that's that's pretty interesting. Now, I, I like I said, I think he can be a solid, productive player for Oklahoma. And if not, he's a good body through practice for a, a year or two. He goes somewhere else. Oh, you sign someone else. Everybody's happy. How, how so you, I, I go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to ask you, Josh, how do you feel about like a, a maybe a poor man's Charles Tapper kind of comparison there? Like he's somebody that's raw. He's new. This isn't kind of he's not polished in this, but he I mean, Charles Tapper is a guy who ran down Amari Cooper in the Sugar Bowl. So that, it's that's that kind of explosion. You just kind of have to harness it and get it get it to look like a football player. There's probably something to that. I mean, he, you know, and the thing is, the the good news in that he's bigger than Tap was when he was coming out of high yeah, school. I mean, true. Charles wasn't that size. Yeah, he's a basketball. So player. I mean, th- that you get that to help a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I I think Tyrese Lott can be a solid player. I think it's just going to be a couple years before he is that guy. But he's uh, again, it's hard to gauge because he's a big-bodied guy that's a good athlete, but he's so raw. Like so, it could go. He could be really good. I could be underselling him. Like I mean, it's it's just on tape. You see, 
a big athlete, and you don't know where that's going to go from there because he has so much to learn. But the last guy is, is Troy James, who I like a lot, and people kind of forget Oklahoma offered him way back during the season. They liked him early on, but he really was about to commit to Arkansas at the time OU offered him. The offer didn't change it for him, but OU stayed on him, and then he takes the visit, falls in love with OU, and he commits. So he's a he's a guy I like a lot. I think Violent. probably yeah, probably behind Isaiah Thomas, he'd be number two for me in the D line group. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of like usually every year there's one guy that that one or two or three guys that you'll notice like Bob really singles in on uh, and kind of you know stumps for him a little bit. Like you guys are gonna, I mean, he did that with Justin Broyles and his personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought the guy he gushed about the most yesterday was probably Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, especially Mike. Mike. Yeah. I, I, I want to say that, yeah, Mike. Yeah, definitely Mike. And then I guess Marcelo Sutton was Riley's kind of guy. Yeah, but, yeah. But Isaiah Thomas certainly, I mean, he kind of, it was almost like he had uh, watched uh, Josh's position breakdown just as far as uh, the type of, uh, I guess, ceiling for Isaiah Thomas and kind of just he's just tapping into what he can really be. Yeah, that's, I think that's exactly what he said, right? He said that Isaiah Thomas might have one of the highest ceilings that he's ever brought in here, and I mean that's high praise. It's basically like, yeah, we offered him and we thought he was pretty good, but then after that, we just fell in love with him more and more the more they watched him. Well, and you talk about a guy that fit if they do move to this four man front, a guy that yes. fits that scheme. Isaiah Thomas is a dead ringer Much in better. a four three. He makes total sense. So that that's that's kind of interesting, but yeah, I, I, even I was a little surprised. As big a fan of Isaiah as I am, I was a little surprised when I read from Mike. Like he really gushed about the kid. What uh, what did you guys think about Lincoln Riley's comments about running backs? Because he kind of he kind of uh, put guys into you know situations like mm-hmm. this is how we're going to use them. I see him being this kind of guy. I think it was just kind of. Re- I don't really remember what he said verbatim. Yeah. Running through him, I think he said. You know, I think he said Sutton was one of the most explosive guys that he'd recruited or seen in person. Which was, I think, that was the highest praise he gave anybody yeah. all day. Uh, then he talked about how Kennedy Brooks was going to be in a P Ryan type role. Yeah, that's right. It's he, Kennedy Brooks. He's yeah. going to wear down guys, and he brought up how he rushed for six thousand yards the last two years in one of you know, Texas's best districts. And then he said Trey Sermon. I think he said it was unique or intriguing maybe the most intriguing because of his size and ability to catch the ball in the backfield. Uh, I think it's kind of how he broke down each player. Which, which that, and I, you know, I think Rodney Anderson's going to, you know, when, once he's healthy, people are going to say, oh, okay, well, there's another guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield really well. I mean, he's not Joe Mixon. Nobody is. Uh, but th- I think that's really important for this team is to continue having running backs that can catch the ball in the backfield because uh, as Mixon proved against Auburn, when you face a really good defense – getting those running backs out on the flats, flats and little outlet passes, uh, that can be huge for an offense, and for this offense in particular. It's almost like the, the – and I don't think it's, it's been on purpose this way, but it's almost like these guys have such huge uh, shoes to fill with uh, the departures of Mixon and Pirine. That's like, it's almost like people have forgotten about the, this running back class. It's like they're going to be good, but they're not going to be these guys. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's probably smart, though, for people. I mean, because uh, no one's ever. I mean, you just you can't come in and replace Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon. You just you just can't. You have to do it in the aggregate. And I think Lincoln Riley's making the smart approach of okay, this guy can help us in this way. This guy can help us in this way. Instead of asking one guy to do everything Joe Mixon did, or asking one guy to do everything Samaj P. Ryan did. So 
you know, and Lincoln Riley, who's someone who who takes pride in creativity, and I think he'll find ways to have a new kind of offense for the running backs he has on campus. It won't be necessarily exactly what you saw last year for Pirine and Mixon. We haven't really talked about instant impact guys in this in this class, but obviously, you know, receiver is an area where you have a chance if you're really special to come in and make an impact. And I asked Lincoln about that yesterday, and he basically said, look, if we feel like one of those guys is our best guys, we're going to have to dumb down our offense for them so we can get them on the field. Um, and I know, like you mentioned this earlier, Josh, I think that that goes unlooked in this recruiting class is that they actually did lose CeeDee Lamb at one point. Uh, and I remember, I think it was Drew Hill or Kerry Cooks, they started like tweeting out, I want a CD and they have a picture of a CD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like they really brought him back in the fold, but you never see that usually. If you lose a guy... You're not getting him back. And I'll be honest, And I remember the podcast we were doing back at the time. We were talking about this is a different kind of staff. They don't get upset. They don't burn bridges with kids. They just kept working him. Uh, and that was probably, looking back at it now, the most work that they had to do, but maybe the most impressive uh, uh, kid that they pulled in just in the way that they handled it. Oh, I, I completely agree. And I think no – I don't think there's any player in the class maybe – Maybe save for Marquise Brown just because he's a Juco guy. I think he'll be a little bit more ready being a midterm guy. But I don't think there's any guy in the class that was any more key to the class being uh, a success as far as hitting its needs than Sedarian Lamb. I mean, that was a guy they needed to have, especially when they lost Jalen Rager. They needed that receiver to be a difference maker, and he's that kind of guy. He's a guy that, you know, guys, you know, I've seen him a bunch, probably more than any other reporter, and I – I, I've, I've said it. I think he's the best, the most talented receiver OU signed the time I've done this. I, I think he is an unbelievably talented guy and is one of those guys that in three or four years is quite possibly going to be a first-round pick. I think uh, it's been a while, but I think uh, when I, I did a breakdown or something of my favorite 11 commits from this class a few months ago, and I, I had him number one. I, 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 Sedarian Lamb is so... He's got those freakish qualities, you know, those things where, man, I don't think you can teach that. I don't think you can teach someone to stop and start the way he does at that size. I don't think you can teach someone to have the ball skills and hand-eye coordination he does to make the catches he can make. Uh, he's someone that I, I would bet if there were, you know, these kinds of odds, if people made odds for this, I, 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 I might make him the odds-on favorite to be the leading receiver for OU next year. I'm trying to think. Um, Malcolm Kelly, he has to be the most successful true freshman receiver, right? In terms of getting on the field, making an impact early. True freshman, probably. Yeah, yeah. I, I Mark was Clayton was a red shirt. Yeah, Broyles was a red shirt. I mean, Mark Andrews well, set his the, own doing. Yeah. Mark Andrews set the touchdown record, but he didn't really have the yards per se. Yeah. I mean, Malcolm Kelly obviously had a better production. And season. he had Paul Thompson throwing to him. No, he was Rhett Bomars. Oh, was he 05? Yeah, he was 05. Okay, still. True freshman quarter, redshirt freshman quarterback. You know who it is, guys. I just looked it up. Uh, give you a couple more guesses. Somebody fire one out. I, it's going to be. Oh, I think I'll it get might. it if I think about it. A true okay. freshman. I just had to look it up, it, I mean, and I, I'm going by yardage here. Oh, Royals? you are. Well, I mean, no, no, true freshman though. Oh, true, true freshman. Fresh. Not, thinking, not a redshirt I mean, guy. I'm just thinking a true freshman. Antoine Savage. Someone like Joaquin Iglesias. Did he play as a true freshman? He might have. Kenny Stills? Kenny yeah, Stills. Kenny there you Stills. go. There yeah. it is, yeah. 786 yards his freshman year. Yeah. 
Yeah, for which Kenny, you know that's a solid Kenny, year. So no, Kenny Stills, he was the best freshman wide receiver, yeah, and he came in early too. He was played in that spring game before that year. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. Yeah, he that was, was a big deal for him. He was. It was uncanny. I mean, he had great football IQ. Yeah, really I mean, was. like like Malcolm Kelly. It took him a while. Remember, it was that game at Arrowhead against Kansas. I think that was his first touchdown. I think that was five games into the season that year. Because do you remember how bad that offense was before he oh, finally got terrible. going? Carry they it were was, awful. It was awful. Well, that was oh five. That was the year that Adrian Peterson had every carry in the second half against Tulsa, right? I think that was that offense. <laughs> Matt, that's right. I forget about that game sometimes. That's, oh, that's my God. favorite. They, it, if it wasn't for Adrian Peterson, they lose to Tulsa on their home field that's a year it. after playing for the national championship. That's a hundred percent right. And I think they almost also lost to South Florida either that year or the next year if it wasn't for an Adrian Peterson seventy-yard touchdown catch. I mean, he. Oh, and he turned up the sideline. Yeah, yeah Joe John Finley had a big yeah. block. Yeah. Couple of my favorite Adrian Peterson anecdotes. There's a lot of good ones, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it, I think we can all agree Marquise Brown will be the guy uh, that's most likely to make an impact out of this class at receiver. I think I don't know. I, I think he and Lamb are both going to make huge impacts. Just both. Just put me down for both. And I would. I mean, you can you can afford to redshirt Calcaterra, um, but at the same time, God, he's really intriguing. He's kind of one of those guys that I kind of walked away with yesterday, thinking that. Uh, you know, Lincoln Riley, even I think one of his opening comments was is Calcaterra, he was a guy that they targeted early yeah. in this 2017 class, and he was a guy that they really wanted. And I think, you know, with him getting on campus early, he could be that type of guy that contributes. Early. You just kind of got to screw over Mark Andrews, don't you, if you want to get him playing time? Yeah. yeah. I thought that was interesting, Eddie. He said they specifically targeted Calcaterra because of his skill set and what he had to come in and play. And then in the next sense, he kind of said, well, he's going to be behind Andrews at first. Well, I mean, he, he made a point to bring up Calcaterra that he, they brought him in for a reason. And I, I don't know how you get him and Andrews on the field at the same time. It'll, I, I do think that Andrews is, I guess I said this before this year, but I still think that he's yet to kind of really tap into what he can offer here at OU. Even though he's been really good in the red zone, he's been. I mean, look, last year I know everybody was like, "Why don't you throw?" It? He, you know, we've talked about this and we talked about it on the boards. I think people just miss it sometimes. Against Texas Tech, he separated his shoulder. He had a, a I don't know what grade it was, but he had an AC joint sprain. So uh, that really limited him throughout the year. You know, it's been brought up about the diabetes thing, though, even before he got hurt, and, and you know how that affects him at times. Um, but it's all. I mean, it's just been weird in. I'll say this, Josh, I'd love to have your thoughts. I think Mark Andrews is a little stiff. I mean, but he's a big tight he's not he's not the per he's not Jimmy Graham. He's not the perfect route runner. Uh the perfect you know, he doesn't get a lot of separation at times. I wouldn't say he's a crisp route runner. Uh, but he's a giant target. And if you throw the ball near him, if he catches it, you know, he has an advantage over whoever's guarding Chase him. Chase Kaufman type. I think Chase Kaufman, yeah, I mean, that might be a fair comparison because he really wasn't a flex tight end. He was a tight end that they just flexed out and got him the ball. He was so big. But, I mean, his NFL career proves he's he wasn't a great tight end. Yeah, I think say Mark's a better athlete than Kaufman was, but I think he probably wasn't, it wasn't quite as big. But I, I know what you're saying there, Joe. Like, I think Mark's biggest strength is how well he uses his body. Like, he, yeah. he really, like you said, Kerry, he'll shield defenders. You know, he may not run the best route, but he knows how to body a guy and just kind of, like, you just can't get to the ball. There's nothing you can do about it. It's not that, He's oh, massive, I got yeah. beat because, you know, he, he fooled me with his route here. 
you just can't get to it. So it doesn't matter what you've done. Your coverage can be as great as it wants to, but you're shielded. So I, I think that's where it comes in. But, I mean, the thing, and as much as I like Calcaterra, and he's got a lot of talent, the the thing that sticks out to you about him is his hands. Well, what's always the question about Mark? I mean, well, you know, and to me, I I wonder if Lincoln wasn't just sending a message. I don't think there's any way he stay, starts over Mark Andrews. I don't think unless they kind of – I wonder if they work Calcaterra a little as a receiver next year. Like he spends more time working as a receiver than he does as a tight end and kind of let him come in that way. If, that, if they want to play him next year, that's the only thing that makes sense because like you said – how else do you get them both on the field? Like it, it's really tough to to kind of make that work, especially with a guy like Carson Meyer, who I think is pound for pound OU's best blocker. The problem, so the problem you know, the, there's gonna, the problem they're going to run into. And look, if he comes through, it's not a problem. But Jeffrey Mead, he's going to get every opportunity to kind of be that guy on the outside. He's got to do something with that opportunity. I mean, he's got to take a jump to the next level because. He will be dead weight that holds back a CD Lamb or someone else from progressing if if you're wrong on Jeffrey Mead. And I think I mean I they love Jeffrey Mead. He made it more plays this year than he has in the past, but I still am not willing to buy into Jeffrey Mead as a great wide receiver. No, I'm with you. Not if he didn't light it up in the spring, I think Lamb may start from day one. I, I would love to think that that would be the case, but I don't. The, deep in my heart, I don't believe for a minute anybody else will start besides Jeffrey Mead to start next season. Uh, Mead can still have something like a you know five six hundred yard season, five touchdowns, and you know I, I don't think he's ever going to be a great receiver. I think there can be a place for him in the offense, especially when Baker Mayfield might have to be looking for guys he can trust just to throw it up to on occasion. Mead's a good guy to have out there. Uh, but I, he's 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 just not he, he's not Lamb and he's not Brown. He doesn't have that kind of explosion. He do, he's not going to be that kind of receiver. He's and just, Smallwood's kind of in that same category, yeah, just a guy yeah. that's taken up space. I mean, he had a really bad drop there. Was that in the Sugar Bowl? Oh, it was overthrown. That was overthrown. But he had one go right through his hands earlier in the season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was that? It was either Bedlam, Bedlam or Bedlam. Sugar Bowl. I think it was Bedlam. Bedlam. We've seen examples of like defensive backs, like we've talked about before, like Jonathan Nelson, guys like that, that have found a way late in their career. Like, oh, they found a great season. They're, they kind of came on. They yeah. stuck it out. Is there an example at receiver for that? I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a guy who we just we waited on. We waited on. Oh, there it is. We finally see it. It seems like those guys end up fizzling. Adron Tunnell, Quentin Chaney. They never really fully. Yeah. Come back. Is, is there is there an example of that? Does Quentin Chaney for one game a year count? <laughs> <laughs> Dude wants to play in the Fiesta Bowl for the rest of his life. Yeah, what? he was really good at Fiesta Bowls. That's because Malcolm Kelly didn't he? He didn't play in that because he, tore, no, he, he, he pulled did, his quad or yeah. something. So I, I, yeah, like I don't know. I, I think there's some danger there. That's all I'm saying. If you if you hit your wagon too much to the guys that have almost done it. For too long with these young guys that are coming in i think there's a danger of bogging down the offense that way yeah and i think joe's right like look at it how many quality receivers at ou you didn't see the writing on the wall when they were sophomores like you could say i mean like don't get me wrong like sterling was playing second fiddle to some people like you yeah, didn't Ryan really Broyles was like the number three receiver when he was a sophomore. yeah but you knew but you knew yeah. you were like that guy's coming that that guy's going to be really good before it's done yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't happen often with receivers where 
they make some massive jump going into their senior years. You can because because you can. It's they easy are to, what you think. They it's are. easy to watch them. You see them in space a lot. You see them in one on ones a lot. You just kind of get you get a great feel for what they are pretty early on. I mean, it's it's the reason why Josh talks about why one on ones are so great to watch at camps. You know, you, you see these guys in space against one guy, and you can tell pretty quickly what they got. All right, we're uh, we're running out of time, uh, Josh. Anything that uh, you want to hit on or, or cover before we get out of here? Just one thing: the the ESPN guy that was live in Norman yesterday, Trey Sermon and Samaje Piron. Can we, we? I mean, come on! Like we got to do a little homework. What right? a I mean, moron! I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, but we need a hi hat for that one. Rim shot, yeah. <laughs> so it was really bad. I, did, I completely oh, it was, it was forgot brutal. to see him. I didn't either. And he did it repeatedly, I, especially with, with Trey Sermon. P. Ryan, he only came across once, and he said P. Ron. And I don't know if that was just because he kept saying Sermon. But who the hell looks at S-E-R-M-O-N and says Sermon? Like, like I mean, that are, knob. Pe- is he a devil worshiper? Like, <laughs> has he really never come across the word Sermon? People always talk about getting, you know, they want national attention. And the national guys come if they don't know anything. I don't get what good it does. I, what They have someone like Drake, Jake Trotter. Why don't they send Jake out? He knows everything. I think, why not do something hey, like he's that? He's already there, too. Yeah. I mean, why, why do you have, like, those correspondents, guys in areas, if not to do that? I don't understand. They probably sent all the good guys to the SEC. That's ESPN <laughs> for you. I, I want to say something about Paul Feinbaum, but I won't. They had that. Oh, oh, tell go, me, and I'll say. Oh, let it go. <laughs> no, I just you know, I I was watching college football live, and they were talking about they put up, you know, all the conferences, how many ESPN three hundred guys each conference had. Oh yeah, I saw this. And Feinbaum was like, he criticized the Big Twelve for being poorly run. <laughs> was like that's that's a stupid criticism. <laughs> like you're just. Pulling something out of your ass to criticize. Does he know how conferences work? That seems like... He said the officials were were an embarrassment this last year, which I think everyone feels like their officials are an embarrassment for every conference. I also saw... Those damn Big Ten officials at the Sugar Bowl couldn't wait to pull out their damn flags every five minutes. Yeah. That was embarrassing. Do we feel that the SEC recruits so well because it's well-organized yeah, or yeah. because that's where all the best talent in the country is? It's a well-run conference. I mean, yes. does, does the SEC have teams in Kansas and Iowa? I mean, that's just, you know, it's nice to have teams in Florida. Hey, in there's at least four Division One players out of Iowa every year. <laughs> yeah, because Arkansas is just such an awesomely run system. Every, <laughs> I, I mean, everybody talks about uh, and rightfully so. I mean, Alabama, LSU both had really good recruiting classes, but I want to hear about Kentucky. Well, I guess Kentucky had a pretty good class. I want to hear about Vanderbilt's class. You know who didn't have a terrible class is Kansas. They, I think they. I mean, not like an embarrassment. Like, yeah, I, I they finished ahead of Kansas State, I think, which is a you know. Well, there's no that, doubt that I mean, David Baby knows what he's doing. That big win over Texas too. Their facilities are really good. Kansas. Yeah, they're they're one of the few programs that have a football only facility where like OU when their stuff is done, like they're still gonna have to let like tennis work out in there and stuff. But like KU stuff is like all off limits only. They, they have a football only facility, but they play on a field with a track around it. Yeah. Well, they, probably, they probably have to have their own football facility because Bill Self probably won't let let them come into the basketball gym. <laughs> like I do not let losers touch my equipment. So, yeah, but, I mean, look, the Big 12, tr- they've got to do better. Texas has got to do better. It, it, 
it is it leaves you leave yourself wide open for the Paul Feinbaums of the world when Baylor sneaks up and becomes How the second it? best class in the in the conference. Is that jo- just Joey McGuire? More surprised, more surprised that Texas kind of fell flat on their face at the end, or that Baylor finished ahead of them in te- in the uh, rivals recruiting rankings. Oh man, that's a great question. Um, I would say more surprised that Baylor came back. Guys, I thought Baylor would be a nuclear wasteland for a couple mm-hmm, of years. Yeah. Like, I didn't think there was any. They went into friggin' Baton Rouge and took a dude from LSU. Like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, the kid was not a priority for LSU, but LSU would have taken the kid. Look, they've cut and, out the raping, but the bag men are obviously still around. I, I guess so, man. But I mean, and if, uh, you know, the kind of tied into you, kid's Adrian Ely's teammate. Like, I watched him. He, he's a. Big, you know, good-looking guy. I get, that's a really good get for Baylor. We need to so go. I, we need I to, think I'm more surprised. Te- we need to Texas go and see if went weird. We need to go and see if Chip and Joanna are building houses yeah, in Baton Rouge. They're going to be real busy all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> that day of reckoning is still coming for Baylor, though, right? I mean, the NCAA will be there at some point. They're not going to let that Title IX stuff go. I, I, I just it feels well, like but that's a that's a university. That's a that's a that's that's not really. A, I guess it is an NCAA thing, but. At the same time, that's more of a federal funding kind of thing. Like that, that hurts the universe. I don't think it would have anything to do with the athletic programs. Mm-hmm. I think Penn State scared the NCAA oh, a lot yeah. on how yeah. to deal with this kind of stuff. That's not clearly football related or and, clearly you know within the athletic department. And Penn State won the biggest judgment ever against the NCAA out of that deal. Yep. Yeah, and it wasn't I think even that, close. I think that's why it was they're like, tentative. It was like they'd been sued for like ninety thousand dollars. Penn State won like almost half a million or something like the NCAA that. NCAA sucks. I, of all the times to get tentative, <laughs> I mean, really, should, wouldn't shouldn't it be Penn State that gets tentative now about overseeing how things but, go outside I mean, of their football? Look, I'm not trying to be callous about this, but rape is not against NCAA rules. Robbing a liquor store is not. That's not what the NCAA legislates. They legislate, you know, improper benefits, those kinds of things. This is a criminal situation. I mean, NCAA doesn't punish you for having criminal. That you have to have control activity. of your program, though. They punish you for not having yeah. control of your program. I think say ideologically, I'm with you, Joe. But I don't know. Like again, the um, what what is it? What's the actual NCAA term for it? Um, lack of lack institutional, institutional control. control. Right. Yeah, like that. That's the thing that I mean, because that's a pretty that's big broad. umbrella. You could catch a lot under that. That's broad. I think. Uh, I'm not a lawyer, but I feel but like once you can make again, that work. It, I mean, the NCAA punished Penn State for uh, harboring a pedophile. That's just, that's in the same league as what you're talking about right. with what's gone on at Baylor. And I don't know if there's been 52 rapes or not. You know, that's a lawsuit that's out there. I mean, there have been rapes. It's, it should be investigated. Uh, but once again, is the NCAA going to be willing to apply penalties towards a football program because? of a criminal act? I don't think so after Penn State. Yep. I, I thought it was pretty telling, too, that Art Bryles, uh, his case was dismissed yesterday. Yeah, dismissed yesterday. that. I saw that. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. You, oh, you found all that evidence. All oh, right. So this stuff's going to go into court. <laughs> yeah, okay, never mind. Yeah. So, anyway. NCAA has four letters. So does ISIS. Think about it. But I... Look... <laughs> <laughs> Just think about it. There's a truther moment. I was waiting for one of those today. Uh, okay, so I think the last thing I'd, I would just say is, yes, recruiting in the Big 12 is embarrassing, and if you think that there's not a perception problem, you're wrong. Does that mean that Oklahoma must immediately make plans to get out of this conference? Yes. 
okay, you say yes. I say no. <laughs> You're ruining my point. <laughs> but yeah, there's. I, I think you really have to be concerned and start looking toward the future. I mean, it's 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 bad out there. And I know Kale Gu- or Mike Gundy tried to use the blame the recruiting evaluators because their recruiting class wasn't ranked real high. But let's face it. I mean, OSU has they coach their asses off. And they, you know, you could also say they underperformed a little bit on defense again this year because they had a lot of good pieces that returned. So. Well, I, re- I retweeted that that whole comment that he made, you know, oh, we must be really good coaches or really good evaluators. They are good evaluators. James Washington, nobody saw that coming. Like, yeah. they, they get credit for that. But at the same time, it helps that you're, you know, he's like, oh, you know, because we're usually in the 30s. Most of the conference wishes they could be in the 30s. That That's where the Big 12 is. There's only... And that's There's where only Oklahoma, really three programs. That's where four. Oklahoma State has lived historically from twenty-five exactly. to thirty-five. Exactly. I mean, Texas, OU, Baylor. Now, I mean, now Baylor and Oklahoma State. Those are the only schools that have shown any ability to be in the top twenty-five consistently in this conference. What? And you know who's who's who is the most underperforming? If you want to say better coaches than either evaluators or recruiters, is TCU by far. Yeah. I mean, even when before they got in the Big Twelve, they were like I. I remember looking this up, like when they won, when they beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl that one year. Their previous four recruitings were like in the eighties, like in the, And do I think that once they offer a kid, it helps the kid? Yeah, because their profile is raised. But at the same time, what what did they end up in the fifties, forties? I mean, TCU has got to. Their facilities are too good to be finishing that low. They, what's interesting is they'll pick off a few guys, you know, in the top two fifty or whatever. But then they don't. Like Kyle Hicks, they they stole from Texas. A few yeah, years and then ago. they got Jalen Rager from OU this year. But it, it seems like that they don't seem to build a full class. It doesn't. It, 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 at some point, there becomes a clear drop off of the guys TCU's bringing in. Whereas OU has, you know, Addison Gums at the top. But then you go, you know, eleven guys down, you're still probably in the two fifty of people they've landed. So well, they stole Jalen Rager and they stole Ty Barrett, who now was is what at Texas State, Sam Tex- Houston, Sam, Sam Houston, yeah. Don't forget, I mean, the Tank Carter was the – I was trying to think of his name. I had to look it up. But, I mean, they turned a two-star linebacker into a pretty badass. Yeah. Who's the oh, – I mean, and that's what he does. Like, you look at some of their biggest successes. The dude that was um, uh, Hughes that ended up being a first-round pick of the Bills a couple years Jerry back. Hughes. Yeah. That guy was a high school running back. And they're like, no, nah, we like you as a, you know, as a defensive end. And the guy ended up, you know, I think, setting the school's all-time sack record. Like, he does a great job of just saying, hey, you're a good athlete. You're big and fast. We're going to find a place for you to fit. They've done a good job in uh, Oklahoma, too. You know, Aaron Curry, who you know didn't go to TCU first, but they got Aaron Curry. And they, was it Jamel Neff a few years ago they got mm-hmm. that yep. played Jamel well Jamel Neff them. was a good two-year starter for them. Uh, Davion Pearson from Millwood go, was perfect. a great player for them for about three years. So, they, they always do a really good job evaluating Oklahoma. And I can tell you, them, along with Louisville, I think more coaching staffs pay attention to what they do because they're kind of that second level. You know, they do a really good job evaluating, but the big schools can go pick off guys from TCU and Louisville, and they know it. And so they'll watch what they do. And if you see those, like you see TCU and Louisville hit on a guy, you watch, like Tennessee will jump in or OU will jump. I mean, the, the schools watch what those two schools do because they make good evals. I also like Gary. Gary Patterson is not, he's very unlikable because he basically freaks out on everybody like he's done it to OU. When the Baker Mayfield stuff on the sideline, he freaked out about that. Uh, but I love it when he freaks, he freaked out on Baylor all the time. Yeah. Like what was it, Ahmad Dixon that was, that knocked the, 
Boykin out of a game mm-hmm. one year. I think so. He knocked Sterling out of a game. And he was over there. Yeah, he did. And he was over there on the sideline laughing, and he freaked out about it after the game. Like, I'm hoping that once Gary Patterson retires, he just dishes the dirt on everything he knew about Baylor. That would be... Because remember when his guy got he got arrested for punching a guy and stealing his beer? That happened a couple of years ago. And in the press conference about it, he said, he said, that's nothing compared to what's going on up north. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or down south. Down south. Yeah. I'm, that, all, I'm all for more of that stuff. That, that was a great line. But, but yeah, I think TCU is probably, to me, the most baffling team well, as far as recruiting goes. They went probably, they went at least three more games last year if Kenny Hill's not their quarterback. Yeah, he's just not good. There's no. a reason he flamed out it. Foster Sawyer's not great either, though. But you know what? I mean, Baker Mayfield is a product of the people that he has around him. If Baker Mayfield was playing on a team that didn't have great receivers, he'd probably make bad decisions and throw more interceptions yeah. and all that stuff and didn't have a running game. His TCU is not a power-running team. They've got small backs. So you'd, you'd, get, you'd say Baker Mayfield's going to throw more interceptions next year than he did in either of the last two years. Well, it depends on Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews and... Rodney Anderson. I just don't see. He's him. got a great offensive line. Yeah, that, exactly. I mean, he's that's not going to say that's worth balances it. Yeah, yeah, he'll have a lot of safety. Plus, you're playing at Tech. You don't have a defense, and you're you're getting a lot more snaps. Bad things can happen. What's that Cliff? was probably his last signing class. I'm about to say, what's Cliff Kingsbury going to do there? Yesterday was probably his last signing day. Where did they finish? I didn't even pay attention. I, I honestly, did they sign a class? That's I've got that's it pulled. Well, they they got a rivals or a rivals two fifty kid, Jack Anderson. They got one. Oh, Jack, Jack Anderson, kid, yeah. They got one four star. He's their only four star. They ended up number forty seven in the country between Duke and Illinois. Wow. And they, Illinois, love the fighting. Uh, the fighting Lovey's got three four stars yesterday. And Iowa State did, had a good day. That's a good staff. Yeah. I like I know we've talked about Beatty and those guys, and I can, that that's a that's a good staff that's got things going in the right direction. But Iowa State does too. I think Matt Campbell and that whole crew are doing a nice job. They held off OSU for uh, Kolar late, Charlie Kolar late. That was huge for them. Oh, I mean Oklahoma. I, I talked. See, to- Kolar was just like Mashburn though. I, I don't know. Maybe they kind of talked about it. Like he realized, yeah, I'm an afterthought for these guys. Iowa State's been with me the whole time, yeah, so I'm going to go there. I mean, that I, I those kids are great for yeah, thinking like yeah, that. They are. that much maturity. But, I mean, I, I said this, I think, to you guys. Can you imagine if OU had a quarterback on their roster who had a brother in Oklahoma, the state of Oklahoma playing in Norman, and they offered him late, and the guy turned them down still to go to Iowa State? People would flip out. That's the difference right there between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. The fact that – because Kolar's older brother, John Kolar, is a quarterback at Oklahoma State. He could go 45 minutes up the road, and he still chose to stick it out with Iowa State. I, I don't think there's a scenario of that happening if you're OU. The, fir- the first couch burning in uh, Norman on record? Yeah, I mean, seriously. Can you imagine if, you know, mm. if Austin Kendall's little brother, OU offered him, and he lived in Oklahoma, and he turned OU down to go to you know, East Popcorn State? OU would lose their mind. It, and, and, Carrie, I know we're running long, so I'll keep this short. Quick hypothetical. Obviously, they offered Kolar. He said no. Almost immediately, they went and offered Baron Odom, uh-huh. who was committed to Rice, and he he flips. He goes to Oklahoma State. How do you guys th- – like, how would you look at that? Like, to me, if I'm that guy, the odds I'm an NFL guy are small. But I can go get a free Rice education Rice, and be yeah. set for the rest of my yeah. freaking life. Yeah. I, 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 and it's got nothing to do with Oklahoma State. Like, I – if it was, if we're talking about Texas Tech, or it's it's not that at all. 
It's just Rice is so amazing <laughs> academically. I would have trouble saying no. I'd go to OSU. Just to stay away from Houston? No, just, just I mean. Plus LT Impo. Better football. Better football. Probably yeah. a better college experience as a football yeah. player. True, true. I mean, it, I, I just think that when, it would be shitty when you get done with practice. Hey. It'd be crappy to get done with practice well, and then know shit. that you have to go do five hours of homework when you could be just going and hanging with your boys on the strip. I mean, Stillwater's a fun town. Yeah. It's a really fun town. I never had fun in Stillwater. But Rice, you have... I've had a lot of fun in Stillwater. Yeah, I have too. I, um, I'd say if I went to Stillwater ten times, I got blackout nine times. It depends. I mean, what was he going to do going to Rice, though? Was he going to get a really advanced degree, or was he going to go and get a communications degree? That's kind, yeah. of, that's kind of the thing about these football programs. I remember Jordan Thomas saying he was coming to OU to be oh, some sort of chemical engineer. Electrical engineer. Electrical engineer. Or no, it was a petroleum engineer initially. Yep, yeah, it was petroleum. Yep. I, yeah, I don't know this for a fact. Now I think he's an African American. I say, I'm going to guess he's not a petroleum engineer major. The, no. the, those guys, you know, it's not really their fault either because they go into these meetings with their advisors and they basically say, "Look, this is what you're going to do. These are your options. You're not going to be." I mean, none of those. Guys- I think Jordan Thomas, and I think just this is what I gather with him. This is kind of side tangent. Sorry, I think that was what, he was a product of what his parents wanted him to be, like doing all that stuff. And I think it literally was almost killing him trying to, you know, stay in engineering programs and playing football. I don't know how you could. Extremely, extremely tough. His official profile does still say majoring in mechanical engineering. He, I know that he isn't. He told he told me okay. uh, at the end of the year somebody asked him uh, if he was close to graduating, and he it was said me, that yeah. was it you, Carrie? And yeah. he said he wasn't. I want to say it was like communications now or something. That'll be a good storyline for the spring. Needs to be football. I asked uh, Oboe's a political science major, which I thought was interesting. Not many guys do that. That's a little off the beaten path. He's another guy who you can tell his parents. I think we asked him, are you going to leave early? And he just, no. He wants to go into social work. I've had this discussion with him. At the Sugar Bowl, we actually talked about that. But he, 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 he took some class about uh social injustices around the world or something like that and that's what got him into political science he's a little bit like eric striker yeah uh, just he's not as open i think about things as uh striker was they're both really intelligent though you can tell that yeah. they know what they're talking about they're not just bsing you all right um well that's our uh signing day wrap up uh I just got to say, Josh, Eddie, Joe, you guys did a fantastic job uh, over the last week. From from the moment Jacob Phillips switched, I felt like none of us ever had you know had a moment to ourselves going all the way up to signing day. Um, I know it was hectic. I know there's a lot of phone calls, a lot of texts, but uh, yo, know, I handle it by going and hanging out in San Francisco. So that's why I'm thanking you so much. <laughs> It was, uh, it was, you know, we, we talked about it so much at the beginning, but I think it was just the reality of it went from, we recorded that podcast on what, a, on win, a week Wednesday, ago, Wednesday, yeah. and then he, Wednesday night, it was like, uh-oh. This is, well, what, that was what it was. Josh, didn't you get a pretty good word Wednesday night that he was going to announce for LSU the next day? Yeah, seriously. Like, I, I hadn't even had time to fully listen to our podcast, and all the information I'd given was wrong. So that was – that was that's always a good feeling when it goes down like that. It just – there was I, – I think that everybody kind of knew. There was a buffer zone, for sure, 
that everybody knew it was headed in one direction. And then when it finally did, I think that it so was like the Zayn Malik of recruiting. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't even know. That's a blind yes, too. I don't know who that is. <laughs> that's a blind yes. It's the guy that left One Direction. Oh. That sounded more important than that. That's a great name. He does the. Uh, he's doing the duet with Taylor Swift on the uh, fifty, the new Fifty Shades of Grey movie. Okay, I'll be in. I'll be in. I haven't that. seen that video yet. It looks really good, though. Of course, it's got Taylor Swift in it, being sexy. Do you? It's, you think she's sexy? Oh yeah. Oh good God! I'd let her write any type of song about me. <laughs> I'd be fine with that. Eddie's gay. Well, I don't. He told me. I don't. I would hope not. <laughs> I might have to kill her if I if he if she wrote something like that. Not anything is wrong with that. There's so many directions I could go, but I'm not going to because we've been going for an hour and a half uh, on this podcast. Uh, I want to thank Eddie and Joe for their dutiful service. Uh, thanks for being in studio, Josh. Are you just what are you doing? Do you, are you just going to get drunk for like three days? Yeah, this is, I, I can tell everybody, like, if they see me posting late at night, yes. ignore it. Like, do not take it seriously. Whatever I'm saying is under a serious bourbon haze, so just leave me alone. Josh is just going to go lock himself in his office and listen to Radiohead and drink bourbon. It will not be Radiohead. I can attest. Unless we're talking about the Benz. Otherwise, I have no use for Radiohead. <laughs> we should start. So. What if we charge a little more for, like, a VIP message board where Josh can have a few drinks <laughs> of bourbon and really talk about what went down on the recruiting trail? That all four of us can only post if we're a little little lit up. Yeah, sure. trust me, yeah. it'll still get aggregated somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> You're Eddie. welcome. We'll just do your job for you, <laughs> as we always do. So yeah, thanks to Josh. Enjoy uh, some some downtime, Josh. You you deserve it. Uh, I'll start working on spring football, so my job picks back up a little bit again. Uh, we'll start looking at uh, heading into the spring. They did say yesterday, they haven't announced it officially, but I did hear them say on that broadcast that the spring game would be April 8th. So um, that hasn't come out officially yet, but I know Chad McKee probably slipped up and said it one time during their broadcast, which is the same day as the Masters, which Eddie is shaking. I'd say it's always the same weekend as Masters. Just Tiger will be back in form by then. It's, oh, God. Stayed up and watched some of that last night. It's just uh, it's it's really disrespectful to Brad Dalkey that they're going to host the, <laughs> the red white game same weekend that he'll be playing in the Masters. If you will see, he make the cut? Uh, I will say right what now. What are your odds? I don't know. I'd say twenty to one, same as Tiger to win it. No, I'd I'd say like two hundred to one to win it, forty five to one to make the cut. About two amateurs make the cut every year, right? On average, usually one or two guys. I mean. Off. Yeah, How many depends. times will Tiger play before the Masters? Because well, he's, he's playing every he's week, right? He's supposed to play four the next four five. Four times? So, so he'll play two more yeah. times yeah. before the Masters? Well, he'd probably play one or twice. He'll probably play like five or six times before. But he'll guess. find time. Like, all those guys find time to go and play a practice round like a month yeah. out, right? Yeah, usually. I mean, Tiger's played there so many times, though. He, he can go play on Monday. He needs to worry about getting the ball in the damn fairway right now. Yeah, it's bad. All right, uh, there's golf your golf talk. talk for the day. Uh, right there with your bobsled talk. Uh, OU basketball, boy, they really yeah. find ways to screw up a ball game. Yeah, they're really... So we didn't need to talk much about them. They suck. Yeah, they're two and, two and seven That doesn't help when Cameron now. Doolittle sprains his ankle in the middle of the game. 
I think it'd be one thing if they were getting beat. It's just the the frustrating, crazy ways that they're figuring out to get beat. Is two the, turnovers back to back? Yeah, miss free throws. Turnovers, miss free throws late. Everybody's um, done it too. I mean, McGusty did it last time. Yeah, Woodard's done it before. Everybody's had their share. There was somebody else that we Latin, got. Guy. Latin missed free Latin throws missed against free Iowa throw. State. Yep. Uh, Texas. Who was it against Texas? It was the uh, same damn thing. Well, they missed the free throws. McGusty missed the free throws in in Austin. So he's done it twice now. Buford missed some free throws. Buford did it, yeah. He missed so, two. Baseball's fired up. Zach Farrar's oh, yeah. not going to play baseball. He's going to focus on football this semester. And see, I think that's a deal where, like, when you have one of my favorites, Kale Gundy, as your coach, probably dropping some hints like, boy, sure would be nice if you actually were around here to compete for a starting job instead of playing that, wasting your time playing baseball. He probably just sent him the... Uh, the wide receiver breakdown that Josh did. Scoop HD. Watch this. Where you, where where you want to be. Where you want to be this spring, son. Was that before? Do you think he blocked him on Twitter to get his message across like he did me? Uh, I don't know. So you're, you're blocked by Kale. I'm blocked by the Tulsa football. Still program. blocked, huh? Yeah. You've I'm, actually mounted a campaign, though. Yeah, I have. I, I'm living for free in their, inside their brain right now. <laughs> I own the program pretty much. Maybe that intern graduated, though, and there's another intern that will be more sympathetic to your... I almost congratulated them on uh, getting the... Uh, they had a really good class, number 83 in Rivals. But people have to read... Like, you're getting help from other media in Tulsa that are retweeting your yeah. stuff to them. Yeah, Since they can't see what you're they tweeting know. at them. They know who Daddy is. I've tweeted them a couple of times. I mentioned Eddie, you know, needing to see uh, some information. They know who they know who uh, who owns them. What they've done. Just ninety three miles to the south, brothers. All right, that's gonna do it. <laughs> that's Eddie Radosovich. Uh, fire as always. Uh, this is our longest podcast ever. It's post signing day. What do you want? Uh, about an hour and forty minutes. So, hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll be back again. Uh, the podcasts aren't going away. Uh, we'll have other things to talk about coming up. Uh, so we'll continue the podcast. Uh, we'll continue sooner scoop. It's not going away either. So. Uh, if you're not a member, go subscribe. It's not over. Spring football is on its way. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun uh, looking at this new team, this new offense, the new wide receivers, uh, looking at young guys as Caleb Kelly continues to develop, and uh, you see what's going to happen at the linebacker position. John Michael Terry will be a guy definitely to watch. Ricky DeBerry moving positions to middle linebacker as well. This is the most interesting spring I can remember just in that, I mean, they have 11 new guys in there. Those spring early enrollees, it's, it's very... Marquise Brown, how a good very is he good be? time to be locked into the uh, OU to the scoop. All right, guys, uh, thanks so much to everybody. I've already named everybody individually. I'm not going to do it again. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time back here on the unofficial forty.